Amen. Thank you, Stephen and Amanda and team. And again, thank you guys for being here today. Glad that we get to continue to celebrate and worship this Christmas season. Hey, grab your Bibles if you will. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. Luke 2 is where we're going to be this morning as we begin to wrap up our Advent series. Uh, we, are, we have been talking about uh, the idea of coming before the Lord. We are excited about His coming. We are also uh, coming to Him in celebration. Luke chapter 2 verse 8 is where we'll be in just a moment. Luke chapter 2 verse 8. Uh, while you are turning there, I wonder if you have finally gotten into the Christmas spirit. If you haven't, time is running short. Listen, it's here. We are right here, and I do hope that we're going to see you guys Friday for our Christmas Eve celebrations. It's going to be awesome. We always enjoy uh, celebrating with y'all. It's a candlelight service. It's a communion service. It's a great way of celebrating with your family, and I do hope that you can be uh, a part of that with us. We will be live streaming the 3 o'clock service, and so if you want to watch that there, you can, but I would hope that you guys could be here in person. It's an incredible experience you do not want to miss. And look, it's one of those things that really does help us to enjoy that Christmas season, to kind of get into the Christmas spirit. I enjoy all that. I mean, with the songs and the, and the food and the caroling and all the different things, it kind of gets you into that Christmas spirit. But I wonder if, if maybe you've ever had trouble kind of getting into the Christmas spirit. Has that ever been an issue for you? And that might be this year. You might say, listen, Adam, I, I wish I could, I, I could be there, but I'm just not. I, I mean, look, it's supposed to be Christmas. It's been 75 degrees all week. I, I mean, it doesn't feel like Christmas. I was kind of glad it got colder today. But I said, look, Adam, it's been a weird year. And, and as much as I would love to kind of jump into that, that whole festive spirit, I just, I just can't seem to muster that up. And the last thing you want to do is fake it, right? You don't want to try to pretend. You don't want to fake it. And so it kind of leaves you in this middle ground where you wish you could be there, but, but you're not. And I wonder if sometimes we feel that way even when it comes to our worship. It's the Christmas season. We're going to do our Christmas Eve celebration. And I wonder if some of us go, hey, listen, I, I know I should be worshiping. I should be so excited to sing, oh, come, let us adore him. And, and I kind of want to be there, but, but maybe for some of us that, that just isn't there this year. Maybe it's because of grief, maybe it's because of pain, maybe it's because of loss, maybe it's because of confusion or doubt or just the, the accumulated stress of two random years that we've dealt with. We just say, Adam, I would love to, to just say that I naturally come and my soul just reaches out in worship, but it's, it's just not there. And the last thing we want to do is fake that. You don't want to fake worship. And so what do we do when we find ourselves in a place where we're not yet worshiping, but we would like to be worshiping? And that's what I want you to see in the text today, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Uh, we looked at this passage last week. It's a famous passage, but uh, we're looking at the shepherds. Uh, on the night that Jesus was born nearby, there are some unnamed shepherds who kind of get pulled into the Christmas story. And so starting in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, listen to what it says. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful and grateful for yet another season of Advent. To celebrate your coming. And so Lord, as we delve into your word today, as we continue to worship, could you, just like you revealed yourself to these shepherds, could you reveal yourself to us as well? Could you show us more of who you are, Father? Could you invite us into these, this worship of the angels? And Lord, we are excited to see all that you have to show us. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, For just a second, I want you to imagine what it might have been like to be those shepherds on that evening. Uh, We see these shepherds in our nativity sets and things like that, but but imagine what it would have actually been like. You're just doing your job. It's about two, three in the morning. You're hanging out with a bunch of sheep, middle of the night, minding your own business, and ask yourself the question, what were they doing before the angels showed up? Like, what were the shepherds actually doing before the angels showed up. Because this is not a terribly exciting job. I mean, unless you're fending off wild animals, that is momentarily exciting, but there will be vast stretches of just boredom. In the middle of the night, there's not a whole bunch of them out there. It's not just one person. There's a few of them, but who knows what they were doing? I mean, if they were just hanging out, what would you be doing at two in the morning, shepherding, watching over your flock by night? What would we be doing? We'd be... Sitting there, staring, hey, scrolling on our phones. That's what we'd be doing. We'd just be sitting there. Hey, you get back there. What is going on? Sheepswapper.com. You know, find me some new sheep. You know, some TikTok about shearing sheep. There's a life hack. Look at that. Huh? Scroll, scroll, scroll. You're doing nothing. It's two in the morning. It's what you do every night. I have no idea what the shepherds are doing at two in the morning. Here's what I do know. They weren't worshiping. I think that's a safe bet, right? They could have been doing anything, talking, being bored, whatever, but they're not worshiping. But by the end of this story, they are. I want you to notice something. Look at this in Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. You can look at there in your text. It says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So look at what the the angels are doing. They are praising God and giving glory to God. So this is what the angels do. The shepherds are doing their own thing. Angels show up. They are glorifying and praising God. But now skip to verse 20, the end of the passage, and look what it says. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. 
So at the beginning, they are not praising God. They see the worship of the angels, and by the end of the story, they have joined in. They have joined the angelic chorus, and now it's not just the angels who are glorifying and praising God. They are going back, and they don't see the angels anymore. They don't even see Jesus anymore, but now worship has entered the picture. Now they are glorifying and praising God. It has changed their experience. And so what has changed? How do they go from not worshiping to worshiping? You can say, hey, they just saw a supernatural event, and yes, that's true, but that's just spectacle. That just makes you go, wow. But that doesn't lead to worship. It doesn't lead you to glorify and to praise the Lord. Why would they go from not worshiping to worshiping? There's a few different things I think we can note here. I want to point you down here uh, to verse 11. Look what it says uh, right here in verse 11 in the text. It says this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So three titles given to Jesus in this text, Savior, Christ, and Lord. Now, if you've read the New Testament at all, those are going to be familiar terms to you. You've heard these terms before, Savior, Christ, Lord. But here's the interesting thing. This is the only verse in the entire New Testament where all three of those titles show up in one place. It is the only place in the entire New Testament where all three titles are used of Jesus at the exact same time. And so what the angels are doing, what God is doing, what Luke is doing is, is right here at the beginning of his gospel, he's telegraphing, let me tell you who this child is. This is the Savior, Christ, the Lord. And all three of those are loaded terms. First off, there is Savior. He is a savior. What does it mean for Jesus to be a savior? Well, this word was used in multiple contexts. And anytime it's used, though, it is talking about delivering somebody from danger, delivering somebody from peril. Uh, It was a word that was used of the Roman emperors. They would call them saviors. You have delivered us. You protect us. You are our savior. So it's a word people knew. But for the Jews, they would often use this word for the Lord. And so look at this in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and 47. So we're still in Luke, just a chapter early. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So this word Savior is applied to God himself. And then look at Luke chapter 1, verses 68 and 69. This is Zechariah here, and it says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Okay, so this word savior is applied to God himself. So already we're getting this picture that this Messiah, this child that has been born is not just a child. He's not just an important person. This is God himself in some strange way. But what God has come to do is to save us. This is his role. He is going to save us from danger. He is saving us from peril. And people had different ideas as to what that peril might be. But God says, my nature is, the nature of Jesus is that he is going to be a savior. Second title is Christ. He is a savior, Christ the Lord. Now the word here in the Greek for Christ is the word for Messiah or anointed one. 
That's what the word is here. It's Messiah. So this is Jesus Christ, Jesus, the Messiah. Christ is not his last name. Did you know that? It's not. His name, his given name is not Jesus Christ. It's a title. It's Jesus the Messiah. This is why you see those names interchanged in the New Testament. Sometimes it's Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus because it's a title. It's Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the anointed one. And look, I think we need to acknowledge that this is a weird word for us as Christians because most of us as believers, you've heard this word before, but for us, we almost exclusively apply this word to Jesus and Jesus alone. When we hear the word Messiah, we think Jesus, and that's it. That's the only word it really works for. That would not have been true for the Jews reading this book. It wasn't true for Luke. They had lived their lives for generations waiting on a Messiah, a leader who would rise up to lead them. A leader who, like David, would, would save them and, and protect them and, and guide them. Somebody who could vanquish their enemies and, and be the one who, who puts everything right in the world. And, and people would come claiming the title and people would have hope for a moment until they inevitably failed. But this is a word that was fraught with meaning for the Jews. They had been waiting on a Messiah, longing for a Messiah. And now here God is saying, no, this is actually him. This is the anointed one. This is the Messiah, the one who will lead, the one who will save, the one who will help. See, now the two terms kind of bleed together, Savior and Messiah. That's who Jesus is. And then thirdly, we see Lord. This is a Savior, Christ, the Lord. And that's the tricky one. Because up till now, this is kind of par for the course. People were expecting a leader. They were expecting a deliverer. They were expecting a new David. But when he adds Lord into the mix, that is the name for God himself. All of a sudden, this is not simply someone sent by God. This is God. This is not just a someone anointed by God. This is God himself coming to be with us. You might say, well, wait a minute, Adam, I see that word Lord kind of all over the scriptures, and sometimes it's used of God, sometimes it's just kind of a, 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 a nice term, kind of like, sir, I mean, do we know that it's referring to God here? And absolutely we do. Look at three different places already in Luke where you see this. Here's Luke 1, verse 16. It says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. This is an angel uh, declaring things to Zechariah. So out of the mouth of an angel, we see the Lord, their God. You see those two things. Next one. This is Luke 146. And Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Okay, she's praying. He uses the same word for Lord. She's praying to the Father. And then thirdly, here's Luke 168. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. This is now Zechariah in his prayer saying the same thing. This is all one chapter back. We're only in chapter two. So already you have three different people using this word for God himself. And now that specific title is given to Jesus. This is the savior, Christ, the Lord. Somehow God himself resides in this child. And this child is the Messiah. And this Messiah is going to save us. That ought to engender worship, should it not? If you really begin to kind of dwell in these titles, when you begin to let these things kind of sink in to who we are, to sink into who he is, that ought to engender some worship. 
But you might have an honest objection and just say, yeah, Adam, that sounds great. I just don't know if shepherds at two in the morning are thinking that deeply about that. Do this late. And they're not sitting here with the scriptures in front of them. And they didn't know about Luke chapter one. And they're not seeing all these things. And so how come it still moved these shepherds from not worshiping to worshiping? How would hearing these words in these titles and then seeing this baby wrapped in cloths in a manger, why would it lead them to worship? Well, when you begin to work this out practically and we begin to work this out of what this means for us, I think that's where we all begin to find reasons to worship at Christmas. And if any of us are struggling, if any of us are having trouble this season, Finding a way to worship the Lord, not simply to enjoy the season or to acknowledge the season, but to enter in and give worship and praise and glory to the Lord. Let's think of some implications of these three titles of Savior, Christ, and Lord. The first thing it means is this, is that he remembers us. He remembers us. More specifically, he remembers you. For these shepherds to have received an engraved invitation to come and see the Lord's anointed, that is a sign that God has remembered them. We looked at this a little bit last week. Remember, it wasn't just everybody who got an announcement. There wasn't a blanket announcement to say, hey, everybody in Bethlehem, you guys are in the right town. Everybody come on. Hey, anybody who's awake at three in the morning, you guys come on. If you're awake, you're lucky. Come on in and you get to see the new Christ child. No, these shepherds specifically get an audience from this angelic choir saying, this is for you. I want you to come and see the Lord. These shepherds out by themselves in the middle of the field were not forgotten by the God of the universe. And that is unbelievable. Because I imagine that in many ways they felt alone. Sitting in the dark at three in the morning with just a few other guys knowing the entire world is asleep, I imagine it would be easy to feel lonely. And you're there every night. You're working the night shift. You're hanging out with these animals. Sheep are not that exciting. And you're just there wondering, does anybody even know I'm here? Does anybody even care that I'm here? And I imagine it would be very easy to be overlooked. And certainly, if they did not feel lonely in the moment, they probably felt lonely just in general. Look, over the years, I've heard these anecdotal stories about how shepherds were really kind of looked down upon, and people kind of thought they were thieves and and things like that. And that evidence is kind of overblown. I don't know if, if that's really the case. I mean, Jesus is spoken of as a shepherd. David, back in the day, was a shepherd. And so let's not make their situation any worse than it actually was. But I think it's safe to say that if you don't have anybody else who can put the night shift instead of you, you're not at the top of the social ladder. That if you don't have anybody who can pull the night shift and you got to be the one to stay up with the animals late at night, you don't have a whole lot of resources. You don't have a whole lot of social capital. You don't have a whole lot of social power. You probably feel on the lower end of the social spectrum, which begs the question, God, have you forgotten about me? God, do you care about me? I don't know if anybody in this world cares about me. I don't know if this culture cares about me. I don't know if society cares about me. I don't know if my family cares about me. God, do you care about me? And when the Lord shows up and gives them this audience, it's unto you is born this day. 
a savior, Christ, the Lord. It is a reminder he has not forgotten us, which means he has not forgotten you. Do not let the magnitude of that skip by us because these people should not have the attention of the almighty God, should they? Furthermore, we do not deserve the attention of almighty God, do we? I certainly don't. I do not deserve the attention of a universe-creating God. Think about that from a size perspective for just a second. God has created the universe. I live in a very particular solar system around a very particular star. There are millions of galaxies. Inside those galaxies, there are millions of different stars. I orbit one of them in one particular solar system. I'm only on one of those planets around that one very small star. And even on that planet, I am no more than a speck for a very brief period of time on that planet. There is zero reason why an infinite universe creating God should give me his attention. And yet he does. That is marvelous. From just a size perspective, it doesn't make any sense. What about an importance perspective? I have done nothing in my life to merit the attention of the God of the universe. Have you? I have done nothing. And look, you can stack up whoever you want, but I have done nothing that is worthy of the attention of the God of the universe. I learned this early on in my life. Uh, growing up in school, I was the smart kid, not the athletic kid. I have an infinite number of stories to prove that. I won't go into those now, um, but when I was in like, like elementary and middle school, I got adopted into the, the gifted program, which was awesome, right? It made, like you were one of the smart kids in the school, which I liked. I liked being one of the smartest kids in the school. And so in elementary and junior high, I was one of the smartest kids in the school, and I liked that. It was good to be good at something, right? And so I liked to be in that program, and it was great until I went into high school, and I got put into a magnet school which is where they take all the smart kids from around the city and they put them in one school. And in one day, I went from being one of the smartest kids in school to not being able to crack the top 50. All of a sudden, everybody is smart. And most of them are smarter than me. I used to consider myself very intelligent. And then I go to the school and realize these people are way more intelligent than I am. When we graduated, all of my friends went to Harvard and Brown and Yale and MIT, which is why I went to Stanford. Sanford. It's close, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's where they all went. I'm not even in the top 50. That's at my one tiny school in Montgomery, Alabama. I have done nothing that merits the attention of the God of the universe. And yet I have it. And so do you. When it comes to Christmas, God is saying, I know you. I haven't forgotten you. I know where you are. This Savior is coming to you. He hasn't forgotten. You might say, it doesn't seem like anybody sees me. I haven't earned it. I don't, I don't have any, any right to expect it. And yet God gives it to you. When these shepherds see this angelic choir, when they see the fulfillment of it, they get to say, Jesus Christ has come for me. He remembers me. That's a good reason to give God worship and praise and glory, is it not? But he doesn't just remember you. He's also present now. He's present. 
You see, it's one thing to hear that this is going to happen, but that's been heard for centuries. They knew something was going to happen. When they go and actually see Jesus born in a manger, now all of a sudden, he's here. He's here. It's real. It's not some distant possibility. He is here. This is actually one of his names. Look at this in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Uh, It says this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when Jesus is born in the manger, here's what it means, is that God is not simply around somewhere. He's not simply out in the universe somewhere. No, he's here. He is with us. He is close. He is present. He has come to be near you. You must say, Adam, that's true, though, for the shepherds, but that's not really true for me. Absolutely it is, because he's still here, is he not? When Jesus Christ is born into our reality, he says, listen, I am breaking down all the barriers. I'm going to lay aside my glory and enter into your experience, into the muck and the mire, into the brokenness, into the chaos. He is not way over there, and maybe one day in glory I'll go to see him. No, he comes to me, and he comes to you. And right now by his Holy Spirit, you realize that he's speaking through his text. The Spirit is speaking in this moment to you saying, I'm here. I'm here. I'm not somewhere else. I'm here. What we celebrate at Christmas is that Jesus Christ came and he did not leave. Though he ascended, he sent his Spirit into our hearts. And he's still here calling us, drawing us, wooing us. Back to himself. Do you know what you can celebrate at Christmas? Is that the God of the universe is not distant. The God of the universe is here. He actually is Emmanuel, God with us. And he's here for you. He's present to you. We don't simply just join in with some crowd and says, I'm sure he talks to a few people and then the rest of us just kind of get to watch from the sidelines. He says, no, no, I'm, I'm here for you and right now I am with you. That is a reason to praise the Lord. Here's the third thing He saves. He saves. His name is Jesus. Look at this in Matthew chapter, uh, or Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Uh, this is when the angel appears to Joseph. It says, but as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The name for Jesus is Yeshua. It means the Lord saves So right there in the name of Jesus is that first title, Savior. He he carries it. Every time we say his name, it's a sign that says, the Lord saves. And so what that means for us is this, is that the Lord is coming to save us. He's coming to deliver us from peril. And when Jesus Christ comes along, it's not a question of whether he might save. It is an answer that he will save. When Jesus Christ comes onto the field, it doesn't matter who the enemy is. The enemy is toast. They don't win. 
You cannot be Jesus Christ. There's not a power in the universe that can stand up to him. When Jesus Christ comes as a savior, he says, it's not a question of can you be saved? Might you be saved? May you be saved? No, you will be saved. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, it is not a gamble. It's not a calculated risk or a bet. You are putting your lives into someone who absolutely, truly can and will save us. He comes as a savior which we absolutely need in the chaos you and I live in, do we not? We need saving from all the chaos of this world. We need saving from the chaos in ourselves, which begs the question, do we worship him as savior? This is where we need to talk about two of those words for a second because they all kind of bleed into one another. Savior, Christ, Lord, Savior, Messiah, Lord, because I said earlier, we, we only really think about Messiah in terms of Jesus, but we understand the concept a little bit deeper than that. Because when you and I face challenges, we will look for a savior. When you and I face challenges, we will look for a savior. And for some of us over the past year, we have been desperately looking for a savior whose name is not Jesus Christ. When you get scared and you need help, where do you run? When you get confused and you need help, where do you run? Because for some of us, over the course of this past year, two years, you've been looking for a savior in the midst of politics. As if there was a politician who can actually save us. Have you met a politician? Any of them? Ever? And we want to put our trust there. As if getting a certain piece of legislation passed, as if we could get some certain thing done. If you could just order things a certain way, then everything would be fine. Say it out loud till you hear it. There's no salvation in the people of this world. There's no salvation in the things of this world. And yet for some of us, that's where we put our heart and say, come save me. Come save me. There's no salvation there. Some of it, you put it in your health. Well, I just got to be healthy. If I can just be healthy, if I can be healthy at all points of possible, if I can be healthy at all points, then I'll be okay. And look, common sense is always to be encouraged. We know that, right? Always. Common sense is always to be encouraged. Do not get sick unnecessarily. But if you put your hope in your health, do you not understand that sooner or later this ends poorly? How many eternal people do you know? Because I only know one. His name actually is Jesus Christ. Do you know anybody else? Because there aren't any. We don't like to think about it, but we know where this ends. Hey, if you put your hope in that I'm going to be healthy forever, you will inevitably have your hopes dashed. You won't be saved. Do you put it in your stuff? If I could just get to this new job, if I could just get to this new house, if I could just get to retirement, if I could just get to this new thing, if I could just have this lake house, if I could just have this this thing accomplished, if I could just do this, if I just got this, I'd be saved. It'd fix everything. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the things of this world, except that in the end, they all rust, rot, burn. They don't last. Enjoy them while they last, but they cannot give us salvation. Where is your treasure? Because there your heart will be also. Jesus said this right at the beginning. Who's your Messiah? Because these shepherds 
who were overlooked by society, who didn't have enough power to change their position, found out that there was a God who says, I am the Savior, I am the Messiah, I am the Lord, and I'm here to save you. And found a Savior who could actually transform them. And Jesus can do the same for us. Are we seeking after him? Are we worshiping him even in the midst of all the chaos? Or do we find our hearts drawn to all the different things of this world? It's going to be different for all of us and we'll all be tempted by different things. But there's only one person who can claim the title Savior, Messiah, Lord. Only one can say, I can truly save. Will we put our trust in him? Who's your Messiah? Jesus says, that's me. When you see him, that's when things begin to change. Here's the fourth thing, though. It means he forgives. It means he forgives. If Jesus is here, it means he forgives. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 again. We just read it, but look at it again. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, that's an uncomfortable term. We avoid that one like the plague, right? And at this time of year, above all others, right? Man, I don't want to talk about sins, man. Christmas is a happy time. Christmas is one of the few times of the year we throw ourselves into sentimentality, do we not? It's one of the few times of the year you will watch a Hallmark movie unironically. You will jump in and say, man, I love these movies. Let's do it. This is great. You throw yourself into all the traditions. We frost everything in Alabama. Frost everything. We try to get in touch with our childhood feelings and our childhood stuff. And we, we hearken back to these things, man. We eagerly throw ourselves in it, hoping that those, those feelings will kind of make us feel better about ourselves. And most years that works, but not this year. But it's harder to do that this year, hasn't it? And not just because of the weather. It's been harder to ignore all the chaos. It's been hard to ignore all the fracturing of our souls, all the little stresses that have cracked us, all the losses, all the pain that get dredged back up at Christmas time. And it's been harder and harder for us to say, everything's fine. And you can just frost it all and it's all going to be good. Because we know it's not. Here's the darker part. At the end of the day, what we see is, is that the problems aren't all out there. A lot of them are in here. It's always easier to blame somebody else, is it not? Oh, it's their fault. If only they would stop this. If they did this. If they hadn't acted this way. We are always eager to blame other people. But the more we look, we begin to see the problems aren't all out there. The problems are in here. Because it's not just everybody else who's a sinner. It's me too. Is it not? And it's you too. Is it not? Look, there's a bunch of kids in here and we know the drill. If you're looking forward to Santa coming uh, at Christmas, there's a whole like process, right? You got to think through whether you're on the naughty or nice list, right? You got to, you're thinking through the year. Like, I don't know how to go. You know, like, did I do enough good things? Did I do enough bad things, right? And you're kind of working through the calculus. Good luck with that. Parents, I hope you never, ever try to do this. Because I want you to think about this for a second. Because this is honestly the most terrifying thing people do at Christmas. Imagine this for a moment of actually listing out all of the things you have done this year and putting them in the nice list or the naughty list. Include every thought you've ever had. 
include every good thing you were supposed to do that we never got around to doing. Put all of that on paper where people could read it. I already see you people. Uh-uh. <laughs> Sandy, you can keep those presents. I don't want to play this game. I ain't doing that. This would be terrifying because we would all lose every single year. Guys, if you actually look at our lives, you look at our hearts, you look at what we have done, you will find, hey, I don't deserve the attention of the Lord. In fact, what I'm realizing that what I deserve is something much different. You see, when Jesus Christ comes, the Savior, Messiah, the Lord, he has every right to come with a sword. He has the right to judge. He has the right to condemn. He has the right to bring righteous vengeance upon all of us. And how does he come? Like a baby. The infinite universe creating God now cannot control his own bodily functions. He lays aside his strength and his glory to become weak and defenseless. He enters into our chaos with nothing. Why is he coming as a baby? Because this baby will grow and live a perfect life like we should have and then allow that life to be destroyed on our behalf. And all of that vengeance that we are due will fall upon Christ himself. When Jesus Christ comes, he comes to forgive. For I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that in order that I might save the world. He comes to forgive, which means that no matter who you are or what you have done, do you realize that what Christmas means? It means that you can be forgiven. It means this, even if you cannot forgive yourself for what you have done, Jesus Christ already has. I will say that again. Even if you can't forgive yourself for what you have already done, Jesus Christ already has. He forgives. When you see the Savior Christ, the Lord, coming as an infant, you see him lying in the manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths, do you not recognize it is a sign that Jesus has come not to condemn. Jesus has come to save. He's willing to forgive you. Is that not enough to put us on our knees and worship? Is that not enough to break us down and worship? To say that we don't deserve this. And yet he forgives. It's unbelievable. Which leads to the fifth and final thing. It means he loves us. It means he loves us. He's not simply informing us of things. He's not just showing off to to tell us things or to impress us. Why would he tell these shepherds and invite them to come and see? It's because he knows them. He forgives them. And the reason for that is because he loves them. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He loves us, which means he loves you. No matter who you are or what you have done, here is what God is saying to you this morning. Yet again, after another year of Christmas, don't you get it? I love you. I care for you. 
Don't you understand? I haven't forgotten. I do know about all the stuff. Yes, I've seen it. I am fully aware. And I have given my very life to save you that you might have eternal life in me. If you could simply turn to me and away from the things of this world, if you could turn to me and away from all the things of this life, you would find that he loves you. And when you and I stare at the Savior, Christ, the Lord, who forgives, who remembers, who is present, who loves, who saves, are our hearts not drawn to worship him? Are our hearts not drawn to say, God, you are worthy of glory and honor and praise. I don't simply want to paper it over with presents. I want to give worship and glory and honor and praise to you. I want to come and worship you. That's how the shepherds moved from not worshiping to worshiping. What about us? Have we come to a place where we say, I want to worship you. Not simply show up for Christmas Eve or a, a, a Christmas service, but, but to say, no, I come to worship. I have been given more than I have any right to expect. I have had love lavished upon me when I don't deserve it. I have been forgiven and cleansed of my sins. I have an eternal life that cannot be taken away from me. I have more than I could ever imagine. Lord Jesus Christ, I want to give you worship and honor and praise That's where the life is this season. It can change us. Imagine those shepherds, not the night of Jesus' birth, but about a week later. It's Tuesday. I don't know if it was Tuesday. Let's say it's Tuesday. And it's three in the morning. And angels don't show up this time. They're still in a field. They're still shepherds. Their circumstances have not changed. Outwardly, it looks exactly like it did before, but inwardly, there's been a change in them. You see, now they know things. Now they know without a doubt that there's a God who knows exactly where they are. Though they don't see Jesus Christ on that particular night, they know that very close by, There's a baby that is growing up that is Christ the Lord, the Messiah. He is here with us. He's growing even at this moment. God has sent him here. We're not alone. We're not forgotten. We are saved. He loves me. And even though outwardly things haven't changed, it's almost like there's this worship that continues to well up in their hearts. And I wonder if there's just that angelic song that kind of gets stuck in their head and that while they're sitting there watching over their flocks by night, it just kind of begins to to well up inside them. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Christ. The Lord. Bow your heads with me. Just a moment. We're going to give you that opportunity to worship. Through song. Just like the angels did. Just like those shepherds as they joined in. And just like we do every Christmas season where we sing, but I wonder if this morning we can go beyond singing and we can get to worship.
Singing is something we do with our voice. Worship is something we do with our hearts. And you have the opportunity this morning to worship him, to praise him, to adore him, and say, I want to sing today. And so through the old Christmas carols, through new hymns, we get to worship Jesus Christ, the risen Savior today. As families all gathered together, we get to sing today. So we're going to sing together. These altars will be open. Maybe you simply want to come and pray at an altar and give worship and praise before the Lord. If you need somebody to pray for you, I'll be right here down front. I'd love to pray with you. But let's not spectate today. Let's enter into worship because he's more than worthy. And so, Father, help us. Speak to us. Father, we we don't need uh, the angels to show up today. You have shown us through your scripture. You have shown us through your spirit more of who you are. And you're just as present with us now as you were on that night. And Lord, for every single one of us, those even who feel the distant, who feel the most distant, could you remind them that you're going out of your way to speak to them today? That Christmas is for them. That you love them. You're willing to forgive them. And that life is found not in this world or the people or things of this world. Life is found in you and we as your people. All together, we'll join together and worship you today. Lord, we're so thankful for how much you love us and what you've given to us. Would you hear us as we join with the angels in glorifying and praising your name today? We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Stand up if you will. Let's worship together this morning and you come as the Lord leads you.